welcome to Books in the Wild, the podcast about exploring books. I'm Carrie Mikulani Schroeder. Welcome to 2021, everyone. Boy, the world sure is terrible right now. But I won't dwell on negativity. There's a lot of wonderful things that came out of 2020, like we no longer ever have to write apologies for the delay in response to any email ever now that time is irrelevant. And it's totally socially acceptable to answer the question, how are you, but just ugly crying. Just like it's totally socially acceptable to eat peanut butter and jelly for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because, no, not because of depression, but because I'm out of macaroni and cheese. And I've saved a fortune on pants and bras. Another great thing to come out of this time is the Quarantine Public Library. The Quarantine Public Library is a collaborative project dreamed up by artists Katie Garth and Tracy Hahn in May of 2020. QPL is an online book repository that features downloadable and printable booklets created by artists. The simple single-sheet eight-fold zine format is ideal because it's a structure that really anyone can create. The selected creators of the zines range from artists and writers, scientists, educators, students, When browsing the list on QPL's site, I was impressed by the wide range of topics and thoughtfully curated content. The statement on their site reads, We wanted to make something to share, as many of us are staying at home, disconnected from art, books, and one another. The project is not about COVID-19, but is explicitly of its time. With brisk attention, a lot of talking and correspondence, and the enthusiastic goodwill of generous artists who say yes, we offer this as a gift to share and circulate in a discombobulated time. The site, which is quarantinepubliclibrary.com, offers visitors to browse by artist or genre. Each booklet is a 85 by 11 single-sheet zine format that can be downloaded, printed, and there is an instructional video on how to assemble the booklet. All for free. There are zines that are thoughtful and somber, like Clifted Metter's Stressed Buckeye, and zines that are lighthearted and quirky, like Kay Bregvid's An Inventory of Antique Cat Stuffed Animals that are currently available on eBay, and a discussion of their power and poignancy. Though of course you can just view the content entirely online, there is an added layer of being able to actually print and assemble the zine yourself. I think in these strange times, there's something comforting about making things by hand, especially a structure that's so quick and easy. It provides a small but much-needed sense of accomplishment. In a few minutes, I will be speaking with QPL founders Katie Garth and Tracy Hahn, but let's talk about zines for a little bit. A zine is basically an independently produced magazine, usually printed or photocopied inexpensively for immediacy and accessibility. The word zine comes from the term fanzine, which was popularized by science fiction fandom in the 1940s. Zines cover a broad range of themes, because just like podcasts, really anyone can make one. But typically they are known for covering topics ranging from politics, personal identity, memoir, art, DIY and how-to, fandom, and ultra-specific subject matter that might not have a large mainstream audience. Ancestors of the zine can be traced to pamphleteering in the 19th and 20th century from amateur independent presses. 
Some even trace back the first scene to Thomas Paine's 1775 pamphlet, Common Sense. More popular associations, though, are with art and sociopolitical manifestos of the Dada, Surrealist, or Futurist movements in the early 20th century, um, science fiction fanzines of the 1930s and 40s, punk in the 70s and 80s, feminist and DIY movements of the 80s and 90s. The list is quite extensive, but usually revolve around the dissemination of information that is usually marginalized or specialized. There is a lot of overlap between zines and artist books, and I believe that the line between the two is becoming even more blurred. There's no consistent zine format, but most zines share a simple structure, either a few pages folded and stapled together at the spine, or like the single sheet booklets of QPL, created by dividing a sheet of paper into eight sections, cutting a slit in the middle, and folding it into a little booklet, or an Instabook. Artist books can also take on these forms, of course, but as a general rule, they aren't as heavily concerned with immediacy, accessibility, and inexpensive production methods. If you are interested in zines, there are many zine libraries out there, or also check with your local library to see if they have a zine collection. Zine fests are also quite magical events that take place in many cities across the country, though many have been conducted online this year. So look up your local zine fest organizers or distros, or start one yourself if you're so inclined. There's really no wrong way to make a zine, which is pretty great. I've also been speaking with some friends about maybe starting a zine exchange to share skills or recipes and random things that we've learned during the pandemic. I'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. But up next is my talk with the Quarantine Public Library. Katie Garth is an artist in Philadelphia, She holds an MFA in printmaking from the Tyler School of Art and a BFA from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Katie has a background in graphic design and book arts and enjoys teaching, writing, and presenting on topics related to contemporary print practice. Tracy Hahn is a printing history educator, curator, and printer living in Madison, Wisconsin. She is Senior Artist Emerita from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she directed the Silver Buckle Press, a working museum of letterpress printing. She serves on the Hamilton Woodtype and Printing Museum's Executive Board of Directors. And now here is my conversation with Katie Garth and Tracy Hahn. So you started the Quarantine Public Library in May of 2020. Can you talk a little bit about the project, how it started? And is this directly out of the pandemic or or did you have an interest in a zine library prior to this? Great question. We started it out of the pandemic, definitely. It's funny, I'm thinking about zines. I really think I've always loved that format. You know, if you teach book arts, it's such a it's such a great thing to show somebody who's never made a book before because it's such instant pleasure. And then for anybody who writes, having that eight pages, eight panels to treat. Once you get into it, it's like a world. Although I love zines and I collect zines and it's obviously a zine library. I don't think of it as a zine library. That's just for principles. And it doesn't mean I'm saying it's not a zine library, but it's a funny thing. Um, what about you, Katie? And that may not, that was sort of off topic, but. 
No, I think so. I would say actually it didn't really come out of the pandemic so much as it was encouraged by the pandemic and yeah. sort of like put it into place. So Tracy is actually the person who taught me this format. We're talking specifically about the one page scene format when I was her student at Silver Buckle Press in 2011. She had mentioned some point then, and I think not infrequently in the time in between that she thought it would be a really compelling idea to have a bunch of artists respond within the form and to have a sort of gallery show it that maybe an online gallery had been raised at some point. But I think that's maybe what you're saying when you're talking about how you don't necessarily conceive of this as a zine library so much as an artistic response to one particular form. True. Tracy brought it up at some point, maybe around March or April, and I said, well, I can do that now. I was getting ready to graduate I was from Tyler School of Art with my MFA, and I knew that I would have plenty of time given the circumstances. So it seemed like a really fun opportunity for me to sort of attach myself to this great idea because I knew that I could help bring it together in terms of the web presence. I always feel like it was a dream, but Katie could make it real. That's what, I mean, she really has the chops to do that. So yeah, it's a good collaboration, I think. Katie does all the work. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. No, it's been really fun because we, I mean, I really love collaboration and I love it as a subject for book arts and it's such a natural thing. And I've thought about it and been involved in some for a long time and printmaking naturally. But we talk every week. It's been a really around pandemic, kind of this anchor that came to be, we realized talking about the new year, this extraordinarily positive thing that in some ways just on a personal level was life-saving. <laughs> you know, it was really mm. nurturing. But when I said, yes, it's it came out of pandemic, it was once we started talking about it and Katie identified, I think the title or the idea of how we could kind of frame it for now, it was so much about something we could share. Right. And so timely. And I think has continued to feel like that artists, poets, whoever is invited and then wants to do it. I think everybody's sharing a similar kind of feeling about, oh yes, Yes, Mm -hmm. this is a good time. And I have something I'd like to do. Even if it's not themed, they don't have to be themed. I was going to ask about how that works with the collaboration from long distance. I mean, obviously, you know, not being able to meet in person, but I do think there are a lot more collaborations happening. I'm working on a collaboration. I don't usually work on collaborations because there is something about being accountable for a project Mm -hmm. as a whole. And then just having these check-ins, I think are super helpful as well. Yeah, I think it's particularly grounding in a time when everything else feels really intangible and slippery Mm -hmm. and the goalposts are always moving. Mm -hmm. Um, We heard that from some artists who submitted as well, that this gave them an opportunity, especially because we had put some limitations around it in terms of time for the purpose of one, maintaining relevancy, which we thought was necessary at the time, Mm -hmm. and two, sort of keeping it from becoming too precious or too overthought. And people responded at the time that, you know, having the opportunity to work on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper within two weeks, that's something I can do. And that is something that helped me get out of my head. And I can really personally relate to that in terms of needing some type of external structure to respond to. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And how do you select your artists? 
we actually split it up. It's interesting thinking about collaboration. We didn't say, oh, let's just look at this big list and agree. We did discuss all of those pretty thoroughly. I think that first round, probably we managed sort of more together, but we each took responsibility for half of the numbers. And it was nice because it broke the task up a little bit. And then I corresponded with a group. Katie was corresponding with a group. And the initial one were people we thought would respond. They're sort of people you know and you love their work. There's mm-hmm. people you've seen and admired their work. There's the big reach sometimes. I think um, a couple of times for us, it seemed really exciting to ask someone. And it happened that people said yes, that it, where it seemed for us ambitious outside mm-hmm. of the natural order. So it wasn't just... And we didn't want to just be like our friends, although right. some are friends, but there's that, definitely. I think Katie has stretched me in that regard. That's been kind of uh, a fun thing. Maybe, me too. Great. Well, Katie's closer to grad school, so you sort of have that, that cohort of students, you know, that you know, or artists who are working, and it's really fun to get to choose. Yeah, and actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask um, what kind of parameters the artists have. Like, do you, I noticed they're separated by genres. Do, are they assigned a, a topic or do they have free reign? It's funny. We often invite artists and then we have to sort of follow up to give them, you know, we sort of think like, okay, well, they've accepted. So now we have to onboard them. And their first question is always, so like, are there any parameters? And really the answer is essentially no. We have a sort of logistical workflow that we ask that they adhere to just for the sake of keeping pagination consistent and helping us quickly identify when they've completed their project. But in terms of what they're actually creating the content of the book, it's really a free for all. And I think that's part of the reason why we love it and part of the reason why it has been so fun to just sort of split down the middle and surprise one another with our picks is one, there's a sense of mutual trust. And two, there is so much possibility for what that might involve because of this structure and it's sort of low barrier to entry in terms of people who maybe don't foremost identify as visual artists. Yeah, there's That's- a lot of sort of back-end support. I think it's really well designed, the project. Katie's responsible for a lot of that. But we talked about all of our, like our written communication, all of that. We collaborated on drafts, but we tried to keep it pretty tightly written to be loose. I don't know. We wanted sufficient support for artists who said yes without tying anybody's hands. But just on a logistical or practical level, there's a artists who say they'd like to participate, once they commit, we just give them the deadlines and we show them the format, but that's all set up by it. It's a really simple form. It's sort of automated in a sense. They have a place where they know to put their files and a couple of things we need. Hmm. There's a form that they fill out that has some details, but all of those things really do cover, there's not any hand-holding really, not need for a lot of extra correspondence. It's fun sometimes though, you get into talking to people that you've just met this way. We know all these people now, we've never met met them. Yeah. And talking about this, I realized that I think we're sort of speaking about it almost as if we had always intended it to continue. 
And that has really actually just been a sort of lucky byproduct that we had designed it in a way where it was incredibly easy to repeat. So at this point, it's sort of a machine that kind of runs itself with some oversight from us. But at the time that we created the project, we didn't imagine ourselves corresponding with anybody other than the initial group of artists. We thought of the, of the library as, okay, well, this is going to be the library. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the library. I think because or we thought that we would quickly lose relevancy if we were still relevant at all when we were finally able to launch. And as circumstances continued to reveal themselves and the pandemic just continued to lag on and on, I think we're sort of accepting that there's not going to be a clear time at which it seems appropriate to say like, okay, we're done. The quarantine is done. Right. That's when like a mass, like a whole box set of them all has to come out, right? I think it's interesting to hear that it is, it sounds like it's relatively hands-off with the artist because to me, looking through all the different zines, it feels curated. I think there's a a really good balance of things that are fun and whimsical and lighthearted and then more serious work as well. Not that it's all not serious work, but I mean, more somber tone. So it's interesting that that balance sounds like it came almost organically. It's, it's mm-hmm. true. Really, it is. I mean, it's always a surprise when something comes in, mm-hmm. but there is curation. And I think oh, um, okay. there really is in the sense that we're really looking at the people we send invitations to pretty carefully and thinking about balance. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not tightly curated in the sense that you, but you, you have a sense of who that person is or that they have Mm. something to contribute that's gonna be meaningful in the whole. So early on, we we were interested in having more maybe nonfiction or people who were subject specialists, but not artists. You know, the first round was more pure artists, I think, don't you think, Katie? People who had some experience maybe of book arts already, so it wasn't that hard a jump, but there is a kind of curation that happened. There is some influence there. And we get a lot of correspondence from people. We have an account uh, just for the project and people can write to us if they're interested in contributing. But what happens then is that we would look at a person's work and just add them to a list that we have of people we look at before sending an invitation. So it's possible that then we get acquainted with someone's work that we hadn't known about before. But in general, we're making the taking the initiative to locate and find and learn about artists. I see, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think Tracy said something about me stretching her before, but I think this is another element of our collaboration that has been particularly helpful to me, has been seeing how the different types of people that we might have primary connections to fill that out in terms of age as one element But also Tracy and I, having been her student in a special collections museum in a library, we're very interested in librarianship and book arts and writing and poetry and printmaking and, and, and. So I think we're always trying to take a careful look. It's not a checkbox mentality at all, but I think we do have a sense of not inviting 20 illustrators at once or not inviting only white men one round. You know, we really want to try and make sure that everything is balanced in a way that feels organic and and is organic, really. For the forum itself, all the books are available, downloadable for free on the website. And it's also available to print, even with instructions on how to print and, and assemble it. 
So why is it important for you to also have a, an object available and why not just do a digital download? Oh yeah, that never <laughs> occurred to me actually. <laughs> I guess that's interesting. So there's something right there because everything was online during pandemic, everything's been so online that actually it's, it's an attempt to cross that a little bit. The really beautiful idea is that one of those books could be downloaded many times and printed in all kinds of places, but it's in people's homes. And if they haven't done it before, you know, you've got to learn a little something and you have to do a little something, but there's that feeling, especially for somebody who's never folded that book before, there's a really very sweet thing that happens when you physically do that and then have ownership of it. And some people are moved to make them. We've had some people send us really beautiful things that they've made in response. I mean, that element is what's satisfying to me and Katie. Although I have to say, I don't have a good home printer and I don't have a whole <laughs> collection of the zines, which is a horrible <laughs> confession, but I long to, and I will. <laughs> so, One thing we talked about that was, I think, especially forefronted by the launch when we were sort of really carefully tracking the analytics of the website was this really beautiful possibility of sort of coincidental simultaneous making. And for me, that's an area where I'm personally really interested in the potential of artist books to sort of create this common shared experience among multiple people who are all getting to experience the same thing together, but separately. And I think like Tracy said, at the, at the time when everything is sort of strictly digital, it made sense for us, especially in the spirit of a library, where this is maybe suggesting that it takes the place of a shared public space that has been lost, to kind of try to find a way to permeate the strictly digital and maybe find like a third space where those things can come together and it can feel just a little bit more resonant than something that you just passively consume. And I think one thing that Tracy has said before that also really ties into that is the fact that by making these books, each person who prints one out is really essentially a collaborator with the artist who designed it. And that feels really special too. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. It definitely does add something to be able to touch it and assemble it yourself. So you're both printers and artists. How does your own individual work that overlap in that? Like, where does it fit in with the quarantine library? It just fits in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't have a ongoing body of work right now that I'm mm -hmm. actively making. So I'm doing a ton of service work for a museum, for Hamilton Woodtype and Printing Museum. Mm -hmm. I can do work for myself that I like, you know, but I just, I'm, I'm in a different place in my career than Katie is. So she may have different things to say about it, but in general, for me, collaborations, artistic collaborations, mm -hmm. and this is not directly mine. I feel like more it's this shared project are just one more wonderful thing you can do. You know, it's an extension of, of other things you do. So I don't know. Yeah. But, well, I'm thinking about you. You do have a long career trajectory that involves collaboration, but I think also involves education and generosity. And in thinking about this just now, I'm remembering what you said to me before about Lewis Hyde's The Gift, and that feels not unrelated to... Yeah, that it's circulation. I, I, I do love that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, larger ideas that I've been thinking about for the last few years 
have had to do with redundancy actually as a vehicle for transcendence, collective rituals and individual routines as places where escapism happens, as places where intense haptic experiences happen. And so I think from that end, while normally my subject matter might be something like brushing your teeth or making your bed, there's definitely something about that that plays into this act of making books together. And I am also sort of, I'd say, more broadly interested in this sort of occurrence that we see happening more often, which is a proliferation of publications that sort of exist right on that threshold of zine versus artist books. Right. And I think that there's just a really interesting potential for someone to treat a book as a very serious piece of work while at the same time forefronting the fact that they really want it to circulate. Right. Finding that balance, I think, between something that feels, you know, precious and intimate and but also highly accessible. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> it's a hard, yeah, I understand. I I'm just thinking about what you're saying about the redundancy and transcendence. I think that's a really lovely topic. Because it is like a, a collective thing that we kind of are all sharing at the same time. And just like everybody's reading the zines at the same time or making the zines. That's, I like that a lot. I like that it's not, um, what, uh, thinking about what you said, Katie, and that interest, I have it too, I, um, that it's against the discussion of categories as categories is not interesting to me. I, I mean, I think it's intellectually sort of fun but I hate to live my life there because it's the book, you know, in whatever form and whether it's, you know, some little dinky cheap thing you bought in a gift shop that shows tattoos from India and that you love the way it just looks or something that was made more intentionally by an artist. Those live very comfortably in the same space. I think um, mm -hmm. if you just love pages and books and visual things. And I think you're probably being pushed even more closely together when you have the digital space for to hold up in comparison against them. That sort of spectrum then maybe gets smushed together a little bit next to it, um, which I think is lovely. There are so many juxtapositions like that one that you just mm -hmm. said that offer the potential to see the form as something more than material. So this question might we might have already covered because we talked about it a little bit, but obviously during this time, I think every artist I know has had trouble focusing and making because time feels so crazy and elastic right now. So besides this project, do you have any, I don't know, tips that you'd like to share or things that may have helped you for, I don't to, to be more focused in, in your own work or stay creatively active? Hmm. I think that for me, the anchor of having a project to work on has been really beautiful during this time. And because it is on a schedule, there are certain times we're busier with it or, you know, have more work to do. But that schedule for me has actually helped make this feel like, um, is it more inchoate? I mean, this is such a weird time. It's just seems mm -hmm. all the same. And although that uh, is repeating, it's repeating in a way that's really satisfying the process. It just helps to do something with somebody. I think that's fun. That's the only tip I would have is if you have an idea, you know, to go on, but that helped to have this schedule, this regular schedule that we were doing together 
I think you used the word accountability beforehand. And I think there's sort of that a little bit. And then time doesn't seem so quite so weird. It seems like we have some authority over our own time in this moment when mm-hmm. we feel such a lack of guidance or authority or agency, you know, in many ways, we're also vulnerable to things we can't control. So it's a little bit of control in a way that's happy. <laughs> yeah, what I'm thinking about is trust really, I think in the sense of having something reliable to work on uh, that can manifest by way of schedule, which has certainly been important for me. But the other part of that is, you know, if you're gonna collaborate with somebody, having it be somebody that you trust. So I think that's one particular reason why this collaboration has been so fulfilling. I think there are ways in which by having to bring and articulate ideas to Tracy, I've probably been able to think of things and motivated to do things that I might not have if it were just me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking a lot too about when I was in graduate school, one of my professors, Amzi Emmons, said to me, because I am somebody who needs a structure, and that was seen as pretty uncommon in the grad school program. He said, like, you're somebody that needs to know where the edge of the dance floor is to be able to dance. And I think about that a lot as an artist who responds positively to constraints. What I would just say is create your own constraints, make your own assignments, ask your own questions of yourself, make your own prompts, make your own deadlines. If you can't find somebody to collaborate with, just sort of like abstract some authority and make it and respond to that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The lack of real deadlines for me has been a real issue too. It, it, I think it's fascinating too. I didn't realize until reading a little bit more. Um, sorry, let me back up a little bit. So my collaboration that I'm working on as well is also with my previous professor from grad school, which is kind of funny. And it, we've always kind of like talked about collaborating and we never did until the pandemic. So kind of- was it because of pandemic that you had the opportunity in a sense? Like the time worked out now and it hadn't worked out before or I used to work for her so after grad school so we worked very well together and and like you had mentioned Katie trust is extremely important and I do trust her completely I would say right before lockdown happened so probably in February or so or like right when COVID was you heard about it but it hadn't gotten full-blown here um I was talking to, so I'm collaborating with Julie Chen. So I called Julie and I was saying like, I wanted to work on this book about time and how it's all interwoven together. And she's like, I just can't picture it. You know, she's like, I'm not saying no, but I can't picture it. And I was like, okay. And then less than a month later, a few weeks later, when everything got shut down, she, you know, texted me. She's like, okay, yes. Like I completely understand what you're talking about. It all makes sense now. And that's really neat. That sounds great. It's so funny too to think of how those circumstances interject themselves. Like I was at first, I was initially frustrated by the reality that anything that I made right now was going to be read through the lens of COVID. And I can imagine that in the situation like the one you were in, um, you were sort of like, no, like I was thinking about circular time like way before this. But at the same time, there is a sort of magic of having to react to the circumstances and to think about the limits of that definition. You know, really everything is inside of it now. And 
honestly, the more that that deepens, then it's like nothing is. So. (laughs) (laughs) The library releases sets of books at a time. And so can you talk about the next release that you have coming up? Yeah, we usually go have, it's worked out that we have approximately 20 artists that will be launching every two months is how it's working. So we're working with, right now we're getting ready to issue new invitations for March. So that's how that goes. Uh, Answer it, Katie. I lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so there's a kind of strange concurrency in that Right now we're issuing invitations for March at the same time that we're receiving books for January. Last week, the sort of task that we've had has been getting in touch with artists that we maybe haven't heard from, assessing all the forms as they come in, looking at the books, formatting them, making the pages for them, and then we send the pages for the artist to proof before we release the batch. In terms of the makeup this time, I think this is another interesting and balanced group I have you know, there's everybody in it from Joanna Avias, who is a New York City-based illustrator who's done some really visible work. And then my friend Osahan is in it, and he's really trying to start writing in a more of a professional way and hadn't had the opportunity to in that capacity before. So it's so beautiful. So I was a minute late getting onto the Zoom call because Katie had just sent me all of these links that I'm going to now edit and then I'll write to each of the artists to once I proofread, not edit, but really proofread. So I hadn't had a chance to look at all of them together in that way, that very easy linked way. And they're really astonishing and, and cool and quite varied. One, I hadn't seen before there are poets on there whose work is amazing and really extraordinary illustrations some are very funny this always happens some are sad one book is from this woman in Tennessee who was you asked about how we developed artists and besides just looking or initially we asked uh, participants to recommend and sometimes since then artists have volunteered who participated to recommend other artists that we might be interested in looking at their work and this particular artist came from a friend of ours who was in the first group that went and the work is just it's astonishingly beautiful her name is Leto her last name I haven't met her before but it's the kind of thing where you, when you see it, you just can't wait until it's out into the world. I, I don't really want to talk about all the details, but it's going to be a really fun group. And so when will those be uploaded again? The 15th of the 15th, the 15th Katie? Yes. I don't even know if this question is answerable. Do you see the quarantine public library as an ongoing project? Or, I mean, once this does calm down, will that be the end of it? Or do you think this is a like a whole new space? Like you like you had mentioned, Katie, about like how everything's in it. So now it doesn't even it's not even a part of it anymore. <laughs> is that you know will that continue? Do you think? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And you know, from the beginning, we just haven't known, and we just uh, we made the decision just to go through the end of the year earlier, and then we made the decision to keep going before that. You know, just sort of keep assessing also our own interest level. Or I don't know. We haven't talked about it lately. Here's what I think. So Katie, we'll hear it for the first time. I would imagine that we're going to go through the end of 2021 for sure. And that during that time, we'll be talking and that there will be possibly some other iteration of this project or 
or not. I don't, I don't really know. I, I would be surprised if there weren't because the mechanism is really beautiful. And it's always, I, you know, we talked before about the physical aspect of it. So you go online, you don't have to print it out, but if you want to, you can. I think that the potential that's represented there isn't tapped. There's so many ways that that could be expressed. That's really interesting to me and has been for a long time. I think there are a lot of things with the internet we're learning and doing all the time and it's always changing, but there's, that's been something all along that I've always thought we don't exploit enough. It's a long winded answer to say, I don't know. <laughs> Katie and I will be talking about it. I'd love to hear what she's thinking about, about that through the year though, right? Yeah, I think for the foreseeable future, I do think you know there will come a time at which quarantine public library itself, knock on wood, mm -hmm. doesn't become an especially relevant container right. anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean that, as Tracy said, the format will cease to exist or there might be some other people doing some really fascinating things with it. And I'd love to see that too. Me too. Right. So and we know of one librarian who told us she is adding the books to the li her library. That's at RIT. Oh, cool. And our curator. And the librarian at Wisconsin's art library, Lynn Karinick, told me she was going to catalog the URL for Quarantine Public Library. But I am also interested in that kind of archival aspect of it or... I would be interested in knowing if other artist books collections are downloading or making this available to students. We know from some people who've told us that they use the library in their classrooms, you know, or with their students, especially with all this teaching that we're having to do online or that's having to be done online. So I'd love for it to have more use and legs. Yeah, I think even if there's a time when we're not actively adding to it, we want to keep it there. Mm -hmm. I love the video that you have too that's on there of just the real short simple how-to it's it, I like it a lot actually that's a brilliant um, example of collaboration um, <laughs> being an important choice I created that video and sent it to Tracy in like 20 minutes one day and was really like oh this is just a placeholder video for now and she was adamant that it not changed <laughs> and I I tried to make a better version and I couldn't it was it was better the way it was it was better loose and not too precious yeah I like it a lot it's I mean it's clear and it's concise and it doesn't seem too daunting you know and and speaking of everybody studying and working online now do you want to talk about everyone on and all the proceeds from QPL go to them? Yeah. Katie was the one who realized we could, there was a mechanism here where we could raise some money to donate. And identifying the right thing took us a little while. And Katie found this. And we had looked at more, maybe like sort of starting with libraries or artist book collections, or just trying to think about something that fit. I didn't know anything about this group and just seemed perfect because it's clearly a moment so many people don't have access. You know, here's this thing that we're doing. And if you don't have a computer or you don't have a printer or you don't have the things you need at home or Wi-Fi. So it's just lovely. And how much have we raised, Katie? Uh, in 2020, we raised $1,680. Yay. And that um, gives 16 families a router and high-speed internet for a year. Um, which is, I think, you know, really nice. There are so many, thankfully, initiatives that are happening right now with the intent of mutual aid. And I think for us, the ultimate impetus was that in a moment this urgent socially, 
asking for people's attention isn't insignificant. So feeling like maintaining some sense of action of a positive outcome beyond the gifts I'd said that we were already trying to give, it felt important to address some of the concerns that are just really being made explicitly clear by this moment. Right. It's really beautifully put. I like, I mean, it's sometimes I think, oh, it's such a modest amount, Mm -hmm. but there's also something really kind of sweetly tangible about knowing that admit that makes me feel good it's great it's really really great and so is this group is it local to a specific area no as I understand it it developed out of a Chicago-led initiative that was specifically for um, socioeconomic disparity in that area among high school students Um, but they are a national organization now and try it and specifically spread in areas that don't already have broadband high-speed internet. And then, so where can people find out more about Quarantine Public Library? This is so satisfying. We get to do our own little kicker here. Please go to quarantinepubliclibrary.com. <laughs> and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, the latter of which Tracy is more deft with than I am. And so I'm attempting to catch up there. <laughs> <laughs> that's just because I don't do it I'm on Instagram but I, I go on very seldom Katie does a great job and we get a lot of attention but the really fun thing for me in the last few days on Twitter was that Andrew Hip, who's a botanist from Chicago the Morton Arboretum uh, we had invited him to do a book and he did one about herbaria which is he's he takes care of the herbaria and Katie's been redoing some things on Twitter or putting some pushing some of the books out there and Andrew's got all this attention from all of these botanists all over the world like Kew Gardens and all these cool places and all of a sudden I had all of this um envy or something I had this funny like wonderful feeling about all of Andrew's friends and his colleagues and just this whole group of people also because they were very active on Twitter and it was sort of fun I don't really try to get connected necessarily to the things that I care about most vis-a-vis something like QPL on Twitter I got on sort of for political and some other things initially but I don't know I love this group of botanists all being very (laughs) excited about this book that Andrew had done on QPL that group of people now I assume some of them are coming to the library to visit and that's exciting it's a completely different kind of constituency than I necessarily imagined I think that raises another thing that we haven't really talked about here, which is audience. And I think that, you know, that's a perfect example of this form being able to reach an audience and then maybe introduce people to more artistic expressions of bookmaking by virtue of being able to support anything. So I think that in sort of recruiting different people who specialize in different things, that was also a concern we had that in addition to the form being accessible, that this was a type of project that was legible and interesting and would connect with people who don't consider themselves artists. I think we both see and probably enjoy many artist-led projects that are primarily consumed and observed by other artists, but Mm -hmm. it feels special and fulfilling in a different way when it circulates elsewhere. A lot of the artists have sent me pictures of the day that their book launched and they might get a text from their dad who printed out the book and made it. And I think 
Yeah, things like that are happening. And like Tracy said, it feels good. (laughs) It does feel good. It's great. Yeah, I love that. There's no real barrier. That was one of the one of the things. I guess it's so much there. I don't even think about it anymore. But yeah, I love the project. It's so nice talking to you both. You too. I um, want to hear Book Lab too, oh, mm-hmm. which is where you are now. Is that right? No, Craig Jensen retired in uh, late August. So I saw so. that he retired, but I didn't realize, does that mean Book Lab retired with him? Okay. I mean, I don't think Craig will ever really retire. Like, you know, he just, <laughs> he says he retired, um, but really it just means he's not doing the boxes anymore and he's not taking on new additions. So he still does some additions for artists that are his friends. I mean, basically. Sure. So there, he, well, there was two employees. There was me and Mark Hammonds, and Mark Hammonds relocated to Georgia. And so he, he was, he was the apprentice. Like okay. I was just there. So I guess like Book Lab does exist as Hammonds Bindery now. So he's okay. doing all the archival box making and and that sort of thing. And right. uh, yeah, I was with yeah. with him for about two years. Okay. Yeah. It's just I, I was there once. I think and saw it for during a like a Southern Graphics Council meeting. Oh, maybe mm-hmm. was there, but he had made book. He had made boxes for a project that Barbara Tettenbaum did at the Silver mm-hmm. Buckle Press. And then... The Exquisite and, Corpse? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I think Priscilla's, Priscilla Spittler worked on the... Uh, I loved her. I met her, you know, a couple of times. And I think she had actually made the boxes. And then she had gone out on her own by the time I did the project, the Exquisite's and Priscilla made all of those boxes. But I just always mm. admire the work and happy to see his name. Yeah, it was great working with him. He's great. And it's interesting too, uh, you know, before him, I worked for Julie and the way that they work is so, so different. Oh, cool. And I mean, it's just so cool, incredibly different, but it was a really good mix. You learn so much more when you get to see that. Yeah. It's like, you know, any or going to people's shops and seeing how differently they might handle their printing presses and stuff like that. It can mm -hmm. be so radically different. Yeah. It's, I love that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm feeling sad that I always feel this way when we've done a couple of these interviews. I always feel so strange because I really want to ask you questions. (laughs) Um, So it's been really nice to get to talk to you too. Um, I mean, I think like Julie's was one of the first books I probably saw when I was like in drawing class at the University of Wisconsin going to the artist book collection. Mm. Um, Tracy and I said we're familiar with the the pin work that you did and it's just been really nice to get to know the rest of your work too oh thank you I love doing the podcast because I get to talk to people that I, I I don't know I normally wouldn't or or if you do it's usually people are busy doing something like at codex or something I didn't used to do interviews with people for the podcast but I think after I started especially during the pandemic when I started back up again I was like oh it's really nice just cool. to talk to people with similar interests and like just to yeah. hear people talk about their projects in such a passionate thoughtful way it's refreshing and it's uh, Carrie I had this experience last year curating a book art show at Wisconsin mm-hmm. that was uh, based on oral histories taken with people who'd been through the program at UW and it was really, really fun because I got to listen to 21 oral histories of various past faculty and students, some more recent, some older or, or longer ago. But then I, I got to pull a little bit of audio from each. I worked with an engineer. I didn't literally pull it, but he could clip it. And then I got to work on a ambient sound tape that was in the galleries. And the funniest thing about doing it was learning everybody's tics verbal mm-hmm. tics like some people say you know you know you know you know 
and other people say so 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 <laughs> now i'm much more i'm, I'm sure I, i'm not aware of mine but i am aware of other people's we didn't have any but um it's just a fun thing and i'm sure when you're <laughs> i'm sure when you're editing all of that is so apparent to you it is but i mean for myself as well where I'm, i when i hear myself i have i know i have a bad habit where i say mm -hmm, but i'm saying it <laughs> over when other people are talking and i'm like i got it consciously not yeah, the sound thing is such a, an interesting thing. My, so my brother is a musician. Oh, so really? he was the one that kind of hooked me up with the equipment. Although he can't find me a decent mic with like a USB input because pandemic, everybody is I've doing podcasts that. now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so he kind of taught me the like a real down and dirty it? lesson yeah. on editing. And I was like, oh, I, w I need more sound effects. And he's like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to, we need some like horses running here. He's like, please don't. He's like, it's tough. And, <laughs> no, and I like, you have a good voice. And I even think like, when you say, uh-huh, it doesn't sound like you're bored. To me, it sounds interesting. So I like all those ambient things that happen vocally, but it's cool doing audio, I think. I mm -hmm. really I'm interested in your expertise and learning that so you can apply it to your subject interests. But I got really turned on with the idea of trying to work on some more audio, more oral stuff. It's fascinating. It really is. I, yeah, because there's so much layering that happens. I, and I think you don't really notice it until you're editing and, and, and actually layering and you can see it. And then I think that visual representation of the sound is really fascinating too, that those things you know, the little lines, like they mean yes. something and you can't read it visually. And that the engineer I got to work with was so brilliant. I just loved everything I got to hear from him or learn from him. Keep doing the good work. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. Welcome back. You can download and make your own books from QPL at quarantinepubliclibrary.com Katie's work can be found at katiegarth.com and Tracy is at Silverbuckle Press at the Hamilton Woodtype and Printing Museum The organization Everyone On can be found at everyoneon.org For more information about this podcast visit booksinthewild.com and if you are interested in information about possible pandemic zine exchange, email me at booksinthewildpodcast at gmail.com or subscribe to the mailing list at coyotebonespress.com or Instagram at coyotebonespress. Thank you so much for listening and be safe and kind out there.